Guys, welcome back to the Built for Life podcast, officially on episode number seven. I really need to stop doing a countdown with every fucking episode. Probably does your not in when you're listening to it, but we're absolutely buzzing to be back as always. We've had some sensational feedback across the course of especially the last episode, but obviously episodes prior as well. I think the biggest thing for us taking you on this journey and giving you these perspectives is realistically just to enlighten you and give you a little bit of a paradigm shift to look at the world in a slightly different way. And that's exactly what we want to talk about tonight. Jen and I want to discuss with you why everything in your life has an impact, whether you realize it or not, on your ability to adhere to the things that essentially get you the results that you want. We have spoke before about the fact that when you are going through a process of fat loss, transformation, muscle building, performance, very often you get started because you struggle with other things in your life so much so that you can't control them. So ultimately what you do is you think, right, well, what's the number one thing I can control? It's my body. So I'm going to take control of that. But throughout that process, there can be a lot of turmoil. You can feel as if it's difficult to adhere. And we want to give you a little bit of an insight into how these things can be affecting you on a mental and an emotional level, which subsequently has an impact on you on a physical level as well. So, Jen, I know that you um, pretty much had the idea for this podcast. So, <laughs> like all the others, no, like all the others. <laughs> this, this, is, this is Jen's world. I just love it. <laughs> um, but do you want to maybe just give us a little bit of an overview of this scenario as yeah. a whole? Yeah. So I think um, I think that's probably where our like ethos and vision and mission for built for life comes from because we really are very we are really very focused and interested on all of the other areas of your life beyond just the health and fitness stuff like I feel like um the other things that you experience in your life are like pretty much a direct manifestation of the body and mind that you live in so like all of the other influences in your life that you potentially underestimate are often the things that present you with challenge when it comes to your physical and mental health. And I think that sometimes people are unwilling to look at those areas. So they focus and fixate on the challenges with the implementation of things in relation to their health and fitness journey. When in actual fact, we have to go all the way back to the start. Like we have to go back to day one and say, what is the other, what is the other thing that is sitting underneath this? What are the other areas of your life that are not conducive to this change that you're trying to create? Because environment is everything. Like environment that you the environments that you find yourself in physically, mentally, emotionally, like specifically the ones that you have no control over whether you're in them or not. All of these things have such a huge impact on your ability to be able to show up for yourself in all of these other areas. And like, I know I spoke about this a wee bit before um, on earlier episodes, but like at the time of my life where I was living in an abusive relationship, I was still fighting on the trying to lose weight and trying to like get better and trying to go after what I wanted for such a long time and what I'd always wanted. And in reality, like, it was never going to happen. Like, I couldn't create stability in an area of my life when the rest of it was fucking chaos. And I remember, like, I've, like I've, we joke about it all the time, but, like, I scrape by uni with the absolute skin of my teeth. Like, I'm an intelligent person. I know I am. I always have been. But, like, the application and investment that uni needed needed a time in my life that was just fucking nuts. Like, it's a miracle I even managed to get a degree because my life was so chaotic that 
all my energy and mental focus was getting spent elsewhere so it meant that there was like nothing left for me and I think that when I think back to all the times that I did this journey before and not this journey but tried to lose weight essentially before it was always so fucking volatile not because of me but because my life was volatile and there are so many bits of it now that I look back on that I think like no wonder it felt impossible because it was like how the fuck am I supposed to build a better relationship with food when I have someone telling me that I have to stop eating because I'm too fat like when I have somebody who's controlling literally controlling what I eat and how much I eat and when I eat like and I think I just underestimated the impact that something like that would have over me that there's exactly why I can I struggle to control food and have always struggled to control food because for a huge chunk of my life somebody else controlled it for me like so I learned restriction by somebody else controlling all of the other areas of my life like I learned how to feel about the way that I looked because somebody else told me I was fat and disgusting all the time so like I just internalized that belief and that criticism as my own and then wonder why it was so difficult for for me to ever lose weight and I think obviously my situation isn't going to be relatable to everybody but I think if you even think about this in the context of the other areas of your life that that have an impact on your ability to just do the day-to-day shit like if you have a partner and the thing is is that I don't want to use the term abusive because I realize that not every relationship that's difficult or toxic is an abusive one but if you have an unsupportive partner who actively sabotages the change that you're trying to create for yourself like you have to really really consider is this person making a positive impact in the journey that I'm trying to create like if you're constantly trying to fight for a better life for yourself and you have someone else who's actively trying to sabotage that passing comments about what you're eating passing comments about what you're doing like making it difficult for you to get time to get to the gym or get time to manage your stress or help out around the house so that you've got less less like fucking stress trying to do everything like these things that people underestimate is so crucial to their ability to achieve and sustain change because the environment that you're in is working against you like people who do jobs that just suck the soul out of them and and I get it, like, we all need to work to pay the bills, and we've all, I mean, I know that between you and I, we have worked some seriously shitty jobs, right, and I get it, and we're in a very fortunate position now that we both, like, get to do what we love, and we get to work for ourselves, and, you know, that comes with its own challenges, but definitely a different set of challenges than it did when we worked in fucking call centres and wanted to rip our eyeballs out, but, like, I get that there's an element of sacrifice that has to be there but like I remember when I first started working with you on the gym floor and I just accepted that being so stressed out like constantly running like a fucking cortisol machine 24 7 like that was just my normal and then I, I would obviously say the classic thing to you like I can't lose weight because I'm stressed and yeah it was because I was turning to food for comfort but like if I didn't deal with the source of the stress it's never going to get better like there's something here about 
looking at your life as a whole and not just looking at the shit that you're struggling to implement, but what's the source? Like, what's the thing that you're telling yourself this is just the way it is? Actually, we need to be willing to challenge those perceptions and say, what am I accepting as normal here that really isn't? No, see when you just said that, like when people say it's just normal or that's just the way he or she is, that's just how they've always been, like justifying their behaviour fucking pisses me off. And I'm really glad that you brought all of that sort of stuff up. And yes, people might not be able to be relatable to you specifically, but anyone that's listening to this should have, hopefully, from what we've discussed so far, an additional layer of intelligence and maybe self-awareness to be able to connect these dots. And I think what we've spoke about before is that you started to believe a lot of the behaviour that you were surrounded with was very normal. So you didn't fucking know there was an issue. You didn't realise that people controlling your food, telling you how you looked, telling you what you should wear was an issue. That's what you'd always known. So do you think there's so many people out there, not in abusive relationships, and again, I don't want to take this into the abusive relationship territory, but do you think there's a lot of people living very unaware of the fact that some of the things in their life are having a huge impact on not even their ability to achieve a result in a tier, but actually to give themselves maybe more of a more of a compassionate approach instead of putting themselves down all the time. Because I think it's so easy when you're so busy, you're getting an earful from your partners, your parents, you're getting grief from your friends when you're not wanting to drink or go out with them when you're trying to change. You just feel like you're getting it from all angles. And I think to some degree as well, and you would have felt this being in that relationship, you start to feel like you're the problem even though you're, you know you're kind of inducing positive change into your life. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, I think, like, I think people normalise other people's shitty behaviour so much because it's all that they've ever known. And I think in the context of me being in that relationship, I had never been in another relationship, so I had no comparison to draw. Like, I didn't know that those things were wrong. I, I like... I grew up watching fucking films and reading books that was like, love is so difficult and it's so hard and it's so dramatic and painful. And then I actually met Paul and I was like, oh, it's actually quite straightforward. <laughs> like, it's not supposed to be fucking nuts and hard and volatile and mental all the time. Like, it's supposed to be like 95% sound and 5% difficult. Yeah. So at that point in my life, I had no barometer for, for normal. So I normalised all the mental volatile behaviour and I accepted that that was just the way that things were. And I think sometimes with our clients, when we have conversations with them about their perceptions of things, I notice people normalising behaviour that actually just isn't okay or normalising situations because I think that for a lot of us, that's how we accept things. We, we normalise our way of doing things because we almost get to this place of, well, I can't change it, so I have to accept it. And I believe that you can change it. Like, you can change a lot of it. And I think it all comes down to, to your belief of the fact that you deserve a happy life. And I think I think when we focus on the components of every part of somebody's life that they bring to us, like if we only focused on the fucking health and fitness shit, we would never actually be able to support anybody to change. And I think this is why we see such life-wide transformations come through our programme because we really, really encourage people to lean into all of the different areas of life 
that aren't serving them and ask different questions of themselves and the normal things that they have always just kind of taken for granted. And I think sometimes it's not until an outside perspective comes in and says to you, that's not normal, that's not okay. Like it wasn't until I left and two years later, I read a blog about um, emotional abuse and coercive control and it was like the girl writing it had been watching my life and taking notes. And it wasn't until that was validated by somebody else that I was able to say to myself, oh my God, that's not normal. So so I watch this happen with people all the time, like busy jobs, demanding jobs. And it's not until we come in with a different perspective to say, you don't have to put up with that. Like you don't have to tolerate that. You deserve more than that. You deserve better. You deserve happiness and fulfillment that they're like, oh fuck. I, I never considered that I had I deserve this and I never considered that this environment has been the source of so much of my stress and my drain and my inability to take control of my life and do what makes me happy. So I think it really is about how you are willing to have your perceptions challenged so that you can actually change your life and not just the parts that you think need to be fixed. Mm. Yeah, like I need to change my body because I am a disgusting mess. Are you a disgusting mess or does someone told you that? Exactly. You go that way. And don't get me wrong, like I still think everyone should work towards peak physical, mental and emotional greatness, whatever that may be for someone. I really do believe that people will live a far better life if they do that. So I'm not saying that essentially just because someone's told you that and you realise that they have and that's why you think that way about yourself that you shouldn't take action still if anything it's actually better to do it for yourself than to do it for other people too and I kind of want to bring it back and talk a little bit more about as well the kind of surface level thing to give a little bit of insight to show that things are not working well elsewhere because the thing is we all know that a caloric deficit works right I have worked with some clients who are dieting and they diet down to let's say like 45 kilos some very petite females for example and many coaches would put females that size right down to like 1200, 1100 because they're that small, they're that petite. The thing is, we spoke before and we speak a lot about it in the program that essentially if you want to be able to diet properly, you just need to get better at adhering to your calorie numbers because people can actually adhere far more to higher calories than they believe themselves to because again, this is a cultural thing. And when we do this work with people to the point where they can like perfect the way in which they approach their life, the environments they're in, the shit they will not tolerate, they adhere to that calorie limit instead of feeling like they have to cut it to get to the result quicker. Therefore, they are living proof that if you're at like 45 kilograms, eating 1500 calories, then you have someone who's 75, 80, calorie, 80 kilograms coming to you and saying, I'm on 1500 calories, I'm not losing weight. It's like, well, that's just not fucking happening. You're 30 kilos heavier, 35 kilos heavier. It's physically impossible for this person who's 45 kilograms to be eating 40, uh, to be um, eating 1,500 calories per day and losing body fat still at that weight and you not to be doing so. You are heavier, which actually means it takes more energy to move you. So if you are doing your steps, you're doing your training, you're faltering elsewhere. You're faltering with your food. You're faltering with your alcohol consumption the way in which you're meticulously tracking these things. And I think because of all this shit that's going on elsewhere in their life and it makes them feel shit about themselves, they do, to an extent, sabotage themselves, tell themselves they can't achieve the result so they can go back around in that circle and give themselves a very fucking tough time. Yeah. 
you're 100% spot on and I think it's so interesting just as you were describing that I was like that's exactly what happened to me like from a client perspective I was trying to lose weight on like tiny fucking calories because those were the calories that I was on when I was a four stone lighter trying to lose weight and I kept fighting against it fighting against it passed about for a good like six god eight months maybe starting stopping starting stopping life feeling chaos mental health being in the bin like really really struggling to just get through and I remember you saying to me you need to accept that this just isn't a priority for you right now Mm. like weight loss clearly isn't a priority for you right now and you're stressing yourself out more by trying to make it a priority and not being able to do it so let's focus on something else and we focused on running and we having a performance goal and fueling myself in line with my performance goal. And I can remember, <laughs> do you remember we'd just come back from, um, where had we been? Was it Belfast? Belfast, Belfast yeah. And, and we were in the airport and you were like, right, let's work out like your, like for your carb load. And I was like, fucking, I don't know if I could eat all this. I saw signs pish. And like, I was sitting down trying to eat, the, see the volume of those meals. Like I was, I was trying to eat, like it was like 2,900 calories or something like that, right? which I could easily eat of a weekend and not even blink. See, because I was trying to eat it within the guidelines of a carb load, like I was like, I actually feel like I'm going to be sick at the, this amount of food. And you were like, do you have a better understanding and appreciation of how you feel your body now? And I was like, oh my God, fucking 100%. And then just even changing it to you, just giving me permission and saying, look, you can eat like... I think it was like 2,000 calories or something. You were like, you can eat that every day and still lose weight. So why don't you just increase your calorie allowance and eat at that? And I was like, okay, great. Started losing weight. Don't even eat that much, right? Because it's so psychological, isn't it? Like it's so, so psychological that when you give yourself permission to say, like here is the amount that I can eat instead of that I can only have, like you you do become a lot more intuitive with it and knowing like I'm safe and there's that perimeter there if I need it. But actually... Like, if I don't want it or I don't have it all, I'm sound. But if I do need it, I'm sound. Like, either way, you're all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, even we've had a couple of clients recently that everyone will overeat at some point, right? And I love how our clients are very, very um, open and honest with us. One of our clients recently, you'll probably know who I'm talking about. When she starts to overeat, she'll go and overeat on, like, oats and protein powder. And yeah. Because she realizes how much it fills her up more, but also how much more nutritionally dense it is. And what's happened even when she's been overeating on those things, she's still lost weight. Whereas yeah. before when she overate, it was chocolate, crisps, cake, takeaways. And because of the density of those calories, they obviously were stopping her from losing weight. So even if you are going to overeat, choose the right things to overeat on. You know, Absolutely. because you quickly realize that the amount of volume in those foods will slow down how many calories you actually do consume. So you're yeah. hungry, you just go to the takeaway because it's convenience. One of my go-to meals if I was ever going to overeat before and I needed extra calories. So I've fucking overeat. I'm going to be open and honest in this podcast. See, if I've been dieting on like 2,000 calories and I've fucking ran a half marathon and later on, I feel absolutely like a bag of dicks and I feel absolutely ravenous. I'm not going to deny myself of it because I know it's actually smarter to have it. Because my adherence is fucking peak the majority of the time. It's not going to do much. I used to have oats, protein powder, and I used to get two Reese's peanut butter cups and basically put them on top. I'd put them in the microwave and it would mm. it would make and it would melt. And that was something like 400 calories all in. Now, I never ate that because I'm like, that's still under the calories. I burned on the run or I'll burn those calories elsewhere. I'd done it because I knew by the time I would finish it, I would be full. 
and yeah. that would be all that I needed. Because the thing is, I've said this, I'm not too sure if I've said this on this podcast, but I've said it to the guys multiple times before. When you add more ingredients to food, you have to eat more of that to become obviously less hungry. Um, and by adding ingredients to food, the issue is that it becomes more palatable, the moisture's different, the texture's different. So if you have a fucking baked tatty, I could honestly see when Joanne makes um, potatoes in like the air fryer, um, Chinese five side, uh, spice, all of that sort of stuff, add sauce to it. When I was fucking mid Big Daddy's return phase there, I was eating 700 grams of tatties with like some cheese sauce, but there was some cheese in the top, like kind of like almost like um, cheesy fries, almost mm. in the air fryer, then some sauce in the top because I had the calories to do so as well. Obviously, I had my protein, my veg and that on the plate. But see, if you give me a baked potato and I put zero on it, no butter, no sauce, no nothing, I struggle to finish it. Yep. Like, this, the, the satiety scale on that is off the fucking charts. Whereas, what happens if you do the same with pasta? Has anyone ever actually just ate pasta on its own before? No, because it's fucking rank. Mm. Add oil, add butter, add sauce. You go back for three, four fucking servings. Mm. You know? So try and keep the foods a bit bland. Or like oats and protein powder, that's still fucking pretty bland. Mm. You know? It's two ingredients, really. Then you add the peanut butter uh, cups on top. That's just for a little bit of enjoyment. And I would only ever buy two peanut butter cups so I couldn't add any more. You know what I mean? I would be yeah. strict with that. So it's about recognising that there are ways in which you can you can approach your journey if you are struggling to adhere to it based upon these factors that are happening elsewhere in your life. All you have to do, again, is make better choices off the back of it. And I'm really like happy with what you've said there about how your perception changed when we started to feed you more food because the more experience you become at hearing you have to think of it from a skill perspective if you struggle to lose weight in 1500 calories you are not at the skill level yet to lose weight on 1500 calories you need to then go to higher calories to understand how to adhere to them before you then move those calories down i spoke about the fact that obviously i'm now dieting i've lost three kilos in four days right officially a lot of that will be water as well but some of it probably will be fat based upon my activity the fact that i'm eating 1500 calories less per day as well probably maybe be a pound of fat in there maybe two pounds of fat because my output is very very high every day see if you took mark of nine eight nine years ago and told him to cut from like 3500 4000 calories down to 2000 he would have struggled to adhere to that mm. now but i've got the discipline and I've learned through obviously skill building, but what you said as well, my perspective is really different. I say, okay, well, what does eating less now make me more available to do? I don't have to take as many breaks through the day from work to go away and eat. I also don't feel heavier when I'm going to bed. I'm looking at all the plus sides of it instead of looking at all the downsides of it. Plus, of course, my life is now in a far better position than it ever has been from an environmental perspective, a stress perspective, because... I've done the work on the things that we're exactly talking about to make sure yeah. that none of that shit has infiltrated my life. I was just going to ask you, like, from where you were back then when your approach would have been different, like, what was different in your life then that influenced that different perspective? Oh, first and foremost, and I think most guys won't talk about this, it's very fucking rare for any guys talking up about this, and I know a lot of guys have been in this situation because sometimes I get to the surface of it to some extent, and then they fucking run from it, they run to the house. A lot of men don't want to talk about being in quite destructive relationships, maybe due to weakness, due to getting fucking slagged by their pals, any of this sort of stuff, but narcissism, manipulation, whatever you want to call it, like fucking abuse to some degree is similar 
in relationships when it comes to men doing it to women or women doing it to men. I've actually been in a couple couple of relationships where women have lifted their hands to me. Like I've not lifted my hands to them. So that makes it like, even if I had, that's not an acceptable way to do it back. And I never lifted my hands either to them, even when they did hit me, right? So why is it that this kind of bigger, stronger guy who perceives himself to obviously like be a, a sign of strength from training, from performing, that essentially a woman should choose to pick on him just because he can handle it. You know what I mean? Because at that point, I remember the person I was with at the time, it was a very narcissistic relationship. Um, the girl I was with at the time, we used to be like walking on the treadmill in the gym that I worked at after I'd finished my shift before me and her were going to go and train together. And it would maybe be clients, girls in the gym that would walk past, people I knew from school who went to that gym. And I would be like, oh, hi, Jen. You know, and I'd wave to them or I'd say to them while we were on the treadmill because you used to have to walk past the treadmills to get to everything. So yeah. <laughs> I couldn't not see them. And she used to say stuff like, why do you have to fucking wave and especially say their fucking name? Like just, just to make out to me that you fucking know them. What is that to annoy me? That's the sort of shit that would happen all the time. If I was training girls, it'd be like, who the fuck's that girl? Have you kissed her before? Have you slept with her before? Like this sort of stuff. And I remember... Um, one time I was open about one of those questions to her and oh my God, the amount of grief I got. Also, you clearly fancied her before. I'm like, you trying to tell me you've not winched some cunt you didn't want to winch when you were fucking drunk? Aye, <laughs> uh, 100%. And I feel like anybody who knows you, like you say hi to, every, you say hi to people you don't even know. I, know. <laughs> I, have, know. I don't think I've ever been anywhere with you where you don't say hi Aye. to literally everybody you, you are. We, we, um, we were at Trump Turnberry last year and uh, we went a, a walk to the to the lighthouse cafe thing right down at the water. And I was walking by saying good morning to everyone. And Joanne gets so pissed off. She was like, will you fucking stop saying that? Will you fucking stop saying hello and good morning to everyone? And I was like, just be nice. She's like, well, can, let, let them say it for a change if they want to say it. And I'm like, but I want to say it. She yeah, was just like, I think I was just getting on her fucking nerves, to be fair. You're honestly the human version of Sunday. Like, she also wants to say hi to everybody she wants past you. You're literally just the human version of that. 100%. <laughs> so, shit like that used to happen. Um, obviously, I was a personal trainer at the time as well, um, because I obviously had started coaching at this point. We we kind of met after, um, how long? Maybe a year in? A year into my, my, my coaching, I would maybe say. And um, I really started to get a lot of grief for being leaner, for wanting to look a particular way. Do you want to look that way for someone else? Like, I don't like you that way. I don't like you lean. I like you with some love handles. I like you with a bit of a belly. I like you with more hair on your face. All of these things constantly. Do you not want to give me what I like? Like, do you not love me so much that you 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 want to... You want to like give me what I require from you, like what I like from you, what I'm telling you I want from you. Um, so it was just subtle things like that all the time. It would be if I didn't eat the seconds at dinner, like if there was some leftover and I wouldn't eat it. Or is that because you're trying to stay in shape and shag your female clients? Mm. That sort of stuff, you know? And that it fucking wears away at you over time. Like I ended up really out of shape. I ended up really fucking unhappy um, on nights out. If... If you got too drunk, it would be fucking pushing me, kicking me, slapping me when I'm just trying to get her up the road because she's a fucking liability and a danger to herself. Um, and that happened a couple of times previously in another relationship as well. But I'm not going to take no responsibility here. Like, 
I used to be very intoxicated at the time as well. I used to, like, everyone's reactive when they're drunk, when they're getting attacked too. Never, never, ever lifted my hands. I would obviously say things in return that made me feel like a wanker after it. But these sorts of people never take responsibility for what they've done. And I would always feel terrible for what I'd said. But I'd never get an apology or be made to feel, be made to feel as if they were regretful of their actions mm-hmm. off the back of it. So I would always be the one fucking chasing them being like you know i'm so sorry like i didn't mean to say that even though they've been fucking slapping me and kicking me and all the rest of it you know and made me feel like the bad one um they are some of the big differences i'm trying to think if there was any more kind of really standout things that i think could take hold here very gaslighting stuff like around ex-boyfriends like almost almost like almost gaslighting me to the point that they would want me to fight with ex-boyfriends, you know, that way, um, because there was obviously an insecurity there for how the ex treated them. But in a sense, they were kind of molding me into what the ex was like, and they were trying to see me in the same light. So they were pushing me in so many different ways, almost to see if I was like that person, because that's what it was a few times. It was like, I want to see if you would, you would go as far as, he went, I want to see if you're the same person because I don't believe I'm worthy of anyone better than that. So I'm going to push you to the point that you break so I can see your true colours, you know? And it would push me to my brink and my limits, but it was never the limits of what other people had done to these people in the past, like the way that they treated them. So, yeah, at that point, it was very, very difficult, very difficult to adhere to nutrition, to train without just going through the motions. It was very difficult to really communicate to anyone and tell them what was going on as well. I didn't really understand the complexities of my own issues at the time. Like I was struggling with like a binge eating disorder, didn't fucking realize it. And the way that I told myself a story that it was okay is that we would sit in at the weekends and we would go to like Morrison's Asda and buy like 80 quid's worth of chocolate, crisps, all the rest of it. She would eat like next to none of it. Mm. And I would fucking scram my pan in. And I always used to be like, oh, do you know what? It's a guy, I train more, I'm hungrier, I'm bigger, I need more fuel to justify consuming 6,000 calories and making myself feel fucking awful. And then one day, just get dropped. Get absolutely dropped. Because over time, I started to really resent that person as well. But I couldn't I couldn't walk away from it. Like when you're manipulated in that sense, you're made to feel as if that's the person you're doing everything for. Very, very difficult. So I got dropped one day, not randomly. We'd been um, at a party the night before. And I'd got a bit drunk and she wasn't she wasn't being very forthcoming, let's just say. She was being very distant, wasn't telling me what the problems were, that sort of stuff. Like almost kind of like trying to get me on my nerves. And she would maybe know that if I drank a little bit too much, I would maybe create a bit of a scene if she wasn't, if she wasn't talking to me and stuff. Because that's almost like the way she'd created me to be. And I'm not, I'm not saying that she controlled me. I take responsibility for how I acted, and I should never have acted in some of the ways that I did. But you have to recognize how these things make you act sometimes. Like you're still in control. And now, because I have these lessons and upon reflection, I know these things, I would never put myself in those situations and scenarios again, which is the difference. But I take full responsibility for it. And I got a little bit too drunk and was speaking maybe out of turn about her to our friends because I was so fucking pissed off and I was getting really pissed off and annoyed. And then I got dropped the next day without being told why specifically like my clothes that had left the house outside and a fucking bag blocked on everything 
social media platforms, numbers, WhatsApp. So from going from a stage of having your life almost controlled by someone else to them just disappearing, you feel like a lost puppy. Honestly, you're like, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I dress myself? Like, you actually do in a sense because you're like, I don't know if this is acceptable because someone would always say like, oh, you look good in that. You fucking look shite in that. Like, you know what I mean? It's fucking very weird. It's difficult to explain. And that just sent me down a very dark hole of like just going out all the time, drinking, taking gear. These are how these things affect you on a on a very um, an emotional level. And I don't think a lot of people recognize that. And I have taken a lot of lessons from it. I've made sure that any future relationships that I've been in have never been along those lines. I've always made sure that every single time I see even a red flag or something that was similar to that form of fucking torture, <laughs> that I would lay the law straight away. Like I would I would state how I want to be treated. But I think a lot of people get too attracted to those same types of people again. They fall victim to it because it's all they've known. And it's easier to attract someone like that because those sorts of people can sniff someone out that is willing to take it a fucking mile off. So I just, I made a promise to myself to never get in that situation. Like as a male at the time, it was embarrassing to try and admit that. It was embarrassing to say that someone else had made me feel as if I was inferior, as if I, I was I was the one in the relationship that fucking took the orders, like done what was told, the one that took the fucking punches, the slaps, all the rest of it, the one that took the dog's abuse, the one that was getting told all the time, you're fucking ugly or you're fucking not good looking or you're not wanting to look a certain way for me, even though if I looked that way, I would be very fucking unhappy with myself. Just very, very fucked up. And I'm kind of trying to reflect on it as I talk as well. Um, because regardless of if it's a woman doing it or if it's a guy doing it, to the opposite sex it's just not acceptable um in either way and i know now that i'm worth far more deserve far more than someone like that and i can sniff it out of people these days like see if i meet someone's partner i can tell from the fucking offset straight away what that person is like i can see through them from their smile their body language fucking everything about them and if that person that i know who is there with their partner that I can sniff out a mile off with their behaviours and they are looking a bit shifty, they're looking quite anxious, I can fucking put two and two together straight away because I've got that kind of experience, not to the same extent as you, of course, so I'm not trying to make out that it was ever to that same level of extent. It wasn't like a daily thing. We didn't live together. Um, we seen each other often, but we didn't live together. But I think it's so important to realise that you have to go away and you have to do work on yourself before surrounding yourself with anyone who could potentially be a, let's just say a roadblock to the way you want to live your life and then go out and find those people. I think people put like age limits, like, oh, well, I'm fucking, my fucking biological clock's ticking. So I want to have kids and I want to get married, but I want to know someone for X amount of years. So that means I need to meet someone now. And it's like, don't fucking settle until you, number one, work on yourself and know what you want from your life. And number two, find that person that wants the same things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really um that was really powerful and I appreciate you being vulnerable enough to share that because I think like I, I think it doesn't matter the extent to which something like that happens to you like there's no such thing as someone who is more abused than another in mm. my view like I think anyone who experiences any sort of 
narcissistic abuse like that should never happen to anybody one instance of that is one too many yeah. um and i think that if we try and quantify it based on like oh this person's experience is worse than this person's like we're just invalidating the fact that actually it should never happen and yeah. it's interesting because there's actually so many similarities and things that you described there that i was like yep me yep yep yep, yep. yep. like because narcissists their, their whole perspective is manipulation their whole their whole mission is to manipulate you so much that you forget who you are and you can be molded exactly into who they want you to be. And that feeling of just being so lost, like I can remember that as well after I left, being like, who am I? Like I hadn't watched films that I liked in years. I hadn't listened to music that I liked. I couldn't eat food that I like. I didn't know how to dress because I'd been wearing what somebody else told me to wear, like exactly as you've described. It's like, what? who am I? Because the person that, you were had to be in the back burner because you couldn't be a version of you that pissed them off. And I think sometimes, like I told, I'm la like laughing in the inside that you're saying you can sniff them out because so can I as well. It's like an instinct. Like, and I think you know how it feels, so you can spot it when someone else is feeling it. Like it's so it rips out them. I think, and I think it's really it's tough because we obviously have to walk a fine line with people we kind of turn around and be like this is what's happening to you you know um we have to be careful too because we're obviously not professionals in that area but it is hard when you know that someone there's a contributing factor in someone's life that's making it difficult for them to put themselves first but if you're unwilling to look at that contributing factor you're always just going to be fighting against and resisting the change and I think like what you said there about knowing now that you will never accept that standard. Like you you are anyone who's been a victim of any sort of abuse is always more at risk of then being abused again because it's almost like the way that you learn love. So when someone else does the whole like narcissists are notorious for doing love bombing in the early days. So it's like overwhelming um, grand gestures, affirmations of love, like really, really again manipulating you to think that they're the best person in the whole world and then their entire personality changes after a few weeks once they've got you in that's it they shift like it's a totally different person and I think that, like when you've been through that like you can spot it so quickly that it, it's just when you know that's what's happening to someone else it's like oh <laughs> this is what's happening to you um but I think it is it's so there are so many different contributing factors that I think people underestimate. Like work, has, work as well, I think, is such a huge one. Like people, to, like we spend what, like what is it, like fucking a third of our lives at work or something like that? Third of our lives, roughly, aye. Like so, again, if you're spending all of your time in an environment that actively conflicts with all of your values, like that's going to have a detrimental impact on your ability to build belief and happiness within yourself and like I said this to, to you today and I said it to Paul like I'm now working in environments where I'm getting a lot of praise and I'm finding it quite stressful because I have done an entire like career of my whole life with nobody ever telling me that I was doing a good job so now when people are like oh this is great I'm like whoa <laughs> keep your praise to yourself I'm not interested because I'm just not used to it and it's funny because I'm like why is this making me so uncomfortable and it's like because I've worked in jobs for such a long time where 
the environment was so detrimental to me as a person that it's made something as simple as someone saying thanks so much for doing a good job feel majorly uncomfortable. Like, yeah. do you do you see that manifesting in people who maybe are underestimating like work being the source of where so much of the stress and and lack of ability implements coming from? Massively, massively. I think people are lacking a huge degree of fulfillment from their jobs and always will. We are not telling you to find something that you're ridiculously passionate about or have a massive interest in. We want you to find something that you like. Because even if you listen to successful people, some successful people would say that if they had to do it all over again, the thing they were passionate about, the entrepreneurship of what they were building, some of them say, do say, I wouldn't want to go through that again if I already know now, or if I, what I knew now, I knew back then before I started. There's some people that have been through some fucking serious, 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 just character fucking developing things, but also character destroying things to the point where their mental health, their anxiety, their depression, they're just fucking wiped out. And they're like, you know what? The amount of money that we achieve from it wasn't worth it. Now, obviously, if you do find something that you like and it takes an interest of yours, the likelihood for you to make more money is, is always going to be there because it means that you're going to be more fulfilled, you're going to work to a higher standard, you're probably going to be more willing to put more work in because you actually feel as if you've got more energy for it instead of putting energy into a job and working overtime that you fucking hate and feeling like your overtime is just completely fucked you for the entire week because we know how that feels. I do the same amount of hours now in comparison to working like four additional overtime shifts like way back in the day. And I know when I felt more tired, it was back in the day when I was doing a job I didn't really fucking like. And now I feel as if I can operate at a pretty set standard consistently. Obviously, there's weeks you're a wee bit more tired than others and so on and so forth. But you definitely have to ask yourself, like, is this job the contributing factor to me not being able to hit the gym? So when I, when I go to my work, is the first thought, I'm just going to fucking patch the gym tonight. Is it oh, when I go home, is there any wine in the house? Is it acceptable for me to order a takeaway for three nights in a row? Like, <laughs> these thoughts start coming in your head when you enter that work environment and when maybe things happen in work, any destructive thoughts, then you need to realise that that environment's not serving you because I will sit here. I've started to kind of train at night now and I actually do prefer it. Me and Joanne goes, go together, sorry, when she finishes work. So I'll wait till she comes in and... I'm just sitting there all day like a fucking kid, like, can't wait to fucking go to the gym. Like, oh, why should you go to the gym now? Why should you go to the gym now? <laughs> you know, so I think if you don't have that, like, obviously there's some days I can't be arsed, but at the same time, I'm like, can't wait to go to the gym because that'll be my outlet. Like, buzzing for later to get out of this house and go off this fucking chair and get to the gym, you know? So yes, sometimes the, the way I see it about going to the gym will change. Some will be fucking giddy excitement. Other times will be like, I fucking need to go here for my own sanity. I think... Unless you have that, you have to look at the environments that are contributing to the fact that you don't have that. And oh, what is going to be your work? 100%. And I think even like, I said this to the guys the other week, there's a common misconception that doing what you love and loving what you do yeah. is really work. And it's not. Like, I know so many people who do a job that pays the bills, yeah. but they find so much love and joy and fulfillment in other areas of their life that give them purpose, right? Be it hobbies, be it contribution in their community be it like political groups religious groups like whatever your thing is whatever your thing is that gives you passion and purpose and a reason for being that doesn't have to be 
like in the workplace, right? But if you're not getting it in the workplace, you have to find it somewhere else. And sometimes, away <laughs> <laughs> you go, don't start, don't start, because this podcast will turn into I'm no a Billy, he's a Tim. Um, so let's just let's just not go there. Um, <laughs> no, I'm actually being serious. Never be one of those countries that turn into just loving for the football because that just becomes a catastrophe. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Somebody, somebody's always getting disappointed if that. Aye, aye. Um, but even just finding like more, I know we spoke about this last week, but just finding more of the things that bring you joy and purpose and passion. And like, if you do have to be in a difficult work environment and you feel like, do you know what, for the time being or for the near future, I don't have any choice but to be in this environment, then you need to consider, okay, how do I create a boundary within myself to be able to respond well to this environment? How do I limit myself from being exposed to the things that I know have a detrimental impact on me? And like, this can be something as simple as not eating lunch in the canteen, like with your colleagues. Like, <laughs> I know you're I used to do that. I was just going to say that there. <laughs> same, same. I used to go a walk at lunchtime and then come back and eat lunch at my desk because I was like, I've been listening to you talk all day. Like, I can't sit and make, see, you know how I feel about small talk, right? Yeah. It stresses me out, no end. I can't do it. It's, it's draining. So I'm like, why would I drain myself more? On this time that I'm not getting paid for to hear about Susan's two-week cruise in the med, I don't care, right? But people worry so much about what will other people think of me? Like, what impact will this have? If I stand up to my boss and say, no, I'm not doing that, that doesn't work for me. What's the impact that it's going to have? Like, how are they going to think differently of me? Like, people, I think, really struggle to kind of show that assertion with themselves within the environment that they find themselves in to, to make the decision that's best for them and then before you know it you've been in work all day you're just getting home it's half seven at night you've done two thousand steps you're starving you're shattered and you're like I can't do any of this yeah like I cannot do any of this because the environment has controlled you instead of you controlling the environment and this isn't necessarily about controlling the environment but controlling how you respond to it like there's always going to be elements of the environment that are completely out with your control. But how are you responding to it? How are you influencing it? Like how are you focusing on and changing the bits that you can actually control and change? That's the difference here. Oh, honestly, like just when you were saying that as well, we spoke about this obviously on the peak performance webinar the other night. And we were yeah. talking about like the circle of control, the circle of influence and the circle of concern. And too many people live outside of that circle of control like they've obviously got things like their thoughts their moods the action they take the decisions they make choices they make all of these sorts of things are well within your control then you've got obviously the influential stuff so it is like the environment you're in what your partner thinks about you what your mom and dad think about the fact that you're not fucking going to uni and you're going to get a real job like these are the circle of influence and then you've got the circle of concern which is like the fucking economy at the moment see this whole thing of like the recession, like I totally get things are difficult at times, right? But you create your own economy. Stop listening to the fucking news. Stop listening to people talk about the fact that fucking you're going to have no money in the bank because cunts are going to steal it because there's a recession coming in. Stop going down fucking rabbit holes on the dark web thinking about fucking what's going to happen in the future with, I don't know, fucking transport and fucking export and import and all that fucking pish. Like some of the stuff I hear on a regular basis is just sheer madness. Mm. that's taking time away from you focusing on the things that you can control and have an impact on in your life like that circle of concern 
I have zero concern for it. I do not think about what the weather's going to be like later. I do not think about if fucking there's going to be traffic when I travel somewhere. And don't get me wrong, that can piss you off sometimes because then you get in the car and you get somewhere and you're like, this is always fucking busy. How did I know this? <laughs> but it's because it's not in your circle of concern whatsoever. You don't fucking think about it. You don't let it occupy your headspace. You talk about and you think about everything that you have to do next in your day to get you closer towards how you want to feel and the results that you want to achieve for yourself and the outcomes that you want to be able to shout about and celebrate once you get there. You need to focus on that control. Like even what we're talking about now in these sorts of relationships, like I said, upon reflection, now that I have the experience and the knowledge and the awareness, I would handle those situations differently. I realized that I was influenced mm-hmm. instead of showcasing my control. But now I showcase sheer control. Like when I speak to my dad, me and my dad don't always see eye to eye because he can just be a fucking wind up at times. <laughs> and I, I think he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Fucking knows anyway, but it'll just it'll say things out a turn just to annoy you, I think. So it'll be like, why you know done those dishes? Even though his dishes are lying there and all. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sort of that um so before I used to fucking kick up fuck. Now it's like I assert myself a bit more. Like I don't lose the rag, but like I assert myself, and there's a bit of a difference there. It's like I'm not getting annoyed at this, but I'm gonna let you know that I'm not going to be spoke to this way, I'm not going to be treated this way, and me asserting myself here is within my control, and by doing this, it's going to make me feel better, right? Yeah. Instead of feeling as if I am bowing to your influence, because most people would say, ah, oh, don't fucking enjoy conflict, can't be asked for this argument again, I'm just going to, you know, say nothing, and it just continues to happen. I would much rather it continue to happen, and every single time I assert myself and feel good enough that I've asserted myself, instead of saying it always falls on deaf ears, so I'm not going to say anything again. Maybe the more you say it, the more it will fucking come round to people and make them recognise and realise that they should fucking act in a different way if they want to speak to you. And I believe people can change. I believe values can change. I believe that people sometimes can have a bit of an epiphany. So if you say it more frequently than not say it, which one's going to maybe get the better results further down the line? Yeah. I can say that. (laughs) Absolutely. I think the thing is, is that when you... When you have been like manipulated to like an extreme degree, say like in a narcissistic relationship and an abusive relationship, it can be really it's a really difficult healing process to find your voice again and also learn that it's safe for you to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like I think there's not the expectation here that you leave like a narcissistic relationship and then the next day all of a sudden you become some sort of warrior like <laughs> standing up for yourself like right and sit there and fighting every day and dad like, killer I <laughs> battering your dad for his dishes <laughs> but like um I spoke to um Jean about this her psychotherapist in the program she's also um, I worked with her one-to-one in therapy and I said to her like I, I realized that the last kind of couple of months I'm like I'm angry like, I don't know why I'm so angry. And she was like, I'm happy that you're angry. Like, she was like, angry is a sign that you no longer feel scared. Anger is a sign that you now feel safe. So you're now in a position where you feel like you can assert yourself. You can speak up for yourself. You can address conflict. You can see the difficult thing. And like, I know you said this to me recently, but like becoming a bit of a bad bitch of late, right? Uh-huh. I would just say, <laughs> avoid all the difficult things and be scared to say stuff. Whereas now... I'm comfortable being a lot more direct and addressing things head on because I feel psychologically safe enough to do so. But it's taken me eight years to get to this point. Like, so you have to give yourself permission to give it time for you to practice using your voice and learning that it's safe. And I think 
that all kind of comes back to when we come back to looking at like the circle of influence versus control versus concern. I think a lot of the time people assume that they have no influence because they can't control what's in the circle of concern. So it's almost like because I can't control what's in the circle of concern, i.e. someone speaking to me in this way, I'll just let the whole thing go, like exactly as you said, like I just won't address any of it. Instead of taking the time to understand actually how can I influence my response to this? Like even if it is not addressing the situation and not speaking up for myself, how do I still have an influence here based on what works for me? And this goes for so many things that I think people, like exactly what you were saying about like, not watching the news and stuff like that. Like I can remember during COVID, like I had we had the news on fucking constantly and it was just death statistics rolling in like every single day. And then I wondered why I got health anxiety. I was like, I've got health anxiety out of fucking nowhere. And Paul was like, yeah, because we're told that thousands of people are dying every day. Like that's probably why you fucking health anxiety. But like we both said this, like Paul used to be, I know he wouldn't mind me saying this, but or I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but Paul used to be like a full-blown Twitter addict. Like Paul was never off Twitter and he was like severely online. And like, I remember like he said to me, like he came off it, I think last year for a few weeks because he was like, it's just so in my head. He was like, I'm worrying about stuff that, because he was like me, like talking about me and he was like, you live in pure blissful arrogance. Like I don't have a scooby what's going on in the world anymore. And I used to know everything that was happening in the world all of the time until I was like, this is having such an impact on me mentally and my ability to find energy for myself because I'm spending all this energy worrying about other shit. And I think like you do have to have an understanding of what's happening in society. Do you know what I mean? Like you do have to have an understanding of like the world and people you know, in our communities who are impacted by, you know, horrific things that are happening and cost of living crisis and all that kind of thing. Like, we have to have an understanding that that, that, that this does impact us all and that there are people that we know and love and care about who, who are so impacted by this stuff, but I care about those people. Like, it's very much like, how do, I, how do you give yourself that distance that you can do something about it, stand up for what you believe in is right, fight for those people, but also not be consumed by the constant fear of it all, like kind of looming over you. And like he said that to me the other day, he was like, honestly, being off, he's been off it for months now. And he was like, the change in like my mental health and just not always being stuck and entrenched and the scary things that might happen or the worries or the, like, we don't realize how much of that is just so fueled on like fear mongering. And I've watched this happen in workplaces so much. Like I watched it happen in the NHS because people get so institutionalized that it just becomes that like everything's shit, everything ba- everything's bad and nothing's ever going to change. And I think like I watched that happen so much that it wasn't until I left that I realized actually how much that environment impacted my ability to just think and my ability to be creative. Like now that I'm not in an environment where everybody thinks everything is shit all the time, I'm so creative. Like, I can think in a totally different way than I could before, all because that environment is different. And I think that's when I speak to people about environment, they think, I mean, like, not having fucking crisps in the cupboard. And I'm like, no, this goes for every area of your life, your relationships, your purpose, your job, your kids, your friends, how you spend your time socially. Like, environment is all of those components all put together. Yeah. And it it honestly just comes down to the intricacies of like you said, it's like 
tie in your circadian rhythm into know when you go into work, when you leave work, even small things like that, your body thrives off routine. You will optimize everything about your potential when you get into a set routine. So see if you start that pitch of like, you know what, I'm just going to start getting in half an hour earlier and I'll start leaving 35 minutes later. Then it becomes like, 45 minutes early, then an hour and five minutes later, and then different the next day, then different the following day, and you're not building real structure and momentum, that is going to have a huge impact on your ability. Massive. And people don't even realize it. It's like getting up at the same time every day, going to sleep at the same time every day, huge impact. Eating at the same times every day, like meal frequency is, is not something that really particularly needs to be focused on that's going to have any additional benefit to fat loss. It's not like but it does have an overall benefit to the environment that you keep your body in. Like it stabilizes when it knows what it needs to do, when it needs to do it. And you want to try and adhere, adhere to that as much as you can. I think people only ever take what their physical environment is at any time. So they can maybe say, yeah, I know going to the pub's wrong. Or I know maybe sitting at the canteen with people in work is wrong. Or I know potentially staying up when I'm over at my partner's and I'm staying overnight past midnight because we've got the telly on in their room is bad. But it's like, how are you listening to them? What's on in the TV? What were their parents saying when you were down the stair? When you go to the football, are there racists there? Are there homophobics there? Are there people talking about the fucking economy? Are there people talking about fucking stabbing fucking rival fans? Like, you know, like that's his environment. And you have to realise how like all of these things have an overall impact on all of your inputs and the way that you can start to think as well if you're around it too much. And that's the thing. Like last week, I think it was, I spoke about how like in social settings and that I can get quite anxious if I've not served myself. Whereas when I've served myself and I'm in those environments, it's again, like I can control the environment. Like I said, I can be quite assertive of myself. So if I am in an environment like that and we're standing next to people who are being fucking dicks and I'm just not liking the vibe and the energy, I can actually say like, boys, can you fucking calm down and stop leaning over our table? You know what I mean? Yeah banging into is like all of that sort of stuff like I can assert myself more I can be like listen I know you're having a good time but you keep fucking banging into me and elbowing me and stuff like that and again it's like me putting myself back in that position of control instead of just being like oh let's leave because I can't really be bothered with this then not really having a good time because you go to the next bar and then it's full or one of your pals does it again because he's too pissed then you go back to the house and you've got no booze because the shops have shut you know what I mean it's like <laughs> You're drinking somebody's Moz Amaretto for Christmas. I, 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 <laughs> I am that, that's why it's so important to realise that you have to you have to create a form of control within every environment you're in. Yes, there will be environments that you will want to leave and you should leave at times as well, but not every environment you should have to leave if you can do something about it. And that's going to improve your self-esteem as well. And that's going to improve how you can actually then put boundaries in other places in your life. Because see, once you stand up for yourself or say something that's on your mind for the first time, it feels fucking good right it feels good and that is why I love doing these podcasts and it's why I love doing my videos on Instagram for example because I want to disrupt I uh, said to you like just actually before I posted those videos again recently I was like I have not had someone give me my character in a long time I was like I want a character assassination of some cunt and I want it now because realistically, if people aren't talking about me in a negative way then I'm fucking doing something wrong I'm being yeah. too plain. I'm not telling people how it should be. I'm not being raw with people. And you'll see on social media now, like, obviously I work in authority network. So I follow a lot of coaches. I think a lot of coaches even outside that follow me because they know I'm a, a, a coach that works in there. But 
I just see so many fucking snowflake coaches on on Instagram, on Facebook. I see people who are just the same. I see people that aren't really adding much value to people's lives. I want to be upfront and open and honest with you. And I want to use this platform as well with you, sharing our vulnerabilities and our extent of damage (laughs) (laughs) over the years so that you guys can recognize that we're actually in a fucking prime position to be able to be the people that can lead you to ultimate success. And I said to the guys on Wednesday night during peak performance, I was like, I don't care if you fucking love or hate me. See if whatever I do or say to you gets the best out of you, then I've done my fucking job, Mm. right? And sometimes you need to hate the person you're working with a little bit when they get hard on you, you know, when they push you. Um, I just love the whole thing about Michael Jordan in The Last Dance, like when he was seen as a fucking tyrant. See, if that guy was my teammate, I would have seen him as the fucking best teammate ever. Like, win six championships, taking the franchise from where it was, which was sweet fuck all, all the way up to six championships, being one of the best teams in NBA history because he just pushed everyone harder from being a fucking dick, right? Not being the nice guy all the time. And we are in the snowflake era. I am terrified for generations to come and I do not want to contribute to that fact by being a fucking snowflake and showing people too much compassion when really they have to grow more strength and be a little bit less weak in their lives. And through that weakness being improved and turning into a strength, they'll start to see that they can control their environments instead of always fucking moaning about the things that they cannot control. And listen, if you've got it tough and you're moaning, it's totally normal to moan about it, but what the fuck are you going to do about it? (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Like, don't come to me and think that I haven't felt what you feel. Don't come to me and think that I don't understand you or I don't fucking get you. Don't come to me and tell me (laughs) that you are a fucking alien from another planet that I just won't understand, right? Because I think you'll soon come to realize that you're fucking completely wrong, for one. And even if I've not experienced things exactly as you've experienced them, I can fucking see right through you. Because I know well enough how to manage stress, to manage emotions, to have a level of intelligence that sniffs bullshit at every fucking turn. And the greatest thing as well is that you can always identify greater gaps in other people's lives than they can ever see in themselves. So when I give give someone a bit of straight talk and they come back to me like, you just don't get it, you just don't understand, straight away I'm like, no, you don't understand what I can see. So don't fucking bullshit me because these are all the things I can see. I'm telling you, you might not want to accept it, but I've seen it now numerous times. So when are you going to take responsibility for taking these things on board? If I can see them, Jen can see them, other people in your life can see you see them if they've been mentioned to you before. When are you going to take responsibility for the fact that this could be true? 100%. That's coaching though. Like, yeah. it's not just about us being supportive all the time. Sometimes we need to fucking challenge you and like, there have been many times in my journey where I've fucking hated you and I've told you oh. that I fucking hate you, right? But I think as coaches, we let go of our need to be liked in pursuit of of supporting the person to be their best. And the thing is, is that I've said this to the guys like several times, like you will be a victim of some fucking shitty situations in your life. Like you will be a victim of really fucking, people are victims of really fucking horrendous things, but there is a difference between being the victim of something and identifying as the victim. There there is a really distinct difference and the more you continue to live in the identity of the victim, the more you feel that life is happening to you and things are happening to you, the more you relinquish your control 
to change yeah. them. And don't get me wrong, the journey of of regaining control, the journey of healing is a fucking hard one. And we can't do it all, right? You will not get everything you need to heal inside our program if you have been through, like, if you go through or have been through really severe difficulty. And I will say that with confidence. Like, we know where our professional boundary begins and ends. And we won't try to heal you in all areas of your life, but we will tell you when you need to go elsewhere to heal for us to be able to help you. And that that's literally what it comes down to is that us having your best interests at heart is always the focal point. And having your best interests at heart means saying the times that we know that you need more than just us or you need something alongside us. But being able to tell you the things that other people in your life might never tell you and showing you that there is another way like even if we've not been through it even if we don't get it even if we don't understand it our job is to support you to discover how you understand it how you overcome it and how you process the difficult things that have been happening to you because I can't name you one person in our program that hasn't experienced some sort of adverse live event I can't name you one person we have that hasn't been through their own story their own thing their own shit we just support them to create a life after that, like yeah, for that yeah. to be an event in their past, a memory, and create a new life for themselves that doesn't identify them through the lens of what they have been through, just like we have. Yeah. Oh, you're so spot on. And see see that whole thing as well. Like, I think what comes to mind for me is being that person that other people don't have in their life that will say the straight stuff is so appropriate because so many people just want you to be safe, to be comfortable. So they'll show you too much compassion. But what happens when the compassion doesn't fucking work anymore? What happens when we've showed you enough compassion for so long that you then think we're the bad guys and that we can't help you get the result when really you've needed compassion from as you keep coming to us with this level of manipulation. And this is where I actually want to frame this because Jean as well, with how good she is, talks about the fact that human beings will manipulate other human beings. So if you come to me and you know I'm a compassionate person when you say particular things, I will feel sorry for you if you start to give me the fucking sob story. But over time, that sob story wears thin when you actually stop trying like alternative ways to actually overcome issues. And when that gets to that point for me, direction or being direct and giving you direction is the only way. Because if the compassion's not worked and it's not changed anything, then you need you need the straight talk. And people don't like it because see, when they've had compassion for so long, they get a bit of a stiff upper lip when they get a bit of you or I being direct. Mm-hmm. But that is why we have to detach ourselves from you guys need to like us. You know, I need to be liked by all my clients. Don't get me wrong, I know all the guys love us anyway. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know that everyone that we are direct with usually takes a couple of days, even if they do get pissed off and come back and say, you are totally right. Like, I've had some fucking arguments with our guys. A few I can think of very, very clearly off the top of my head. And I will literally see if you come back to me with, like, a voice note, I will leave it. You know, I'll leave it for a day, I'll leave it for two days. And before I even reply, there will be another message saying, I'm so sorry, I realised, like, where you were coming from, I know that you're right. But if I've triggered you, that's a fucking really good thing. Because you've now recognised that something needs to change. And that I've hit a nerve one that you maybe didn't even know was there so we we need to be that dynamic when it comes to coaching we need to be and we are not that that type of kind of coaching group where we're when we're being straight we're like get your fucking arse 
out and fucking work a bit harder. Like, but we're not talking about that from directness. Like, we will call you out on some of the hardest and toughest things that you're not looking at in your life. That's where we'll be, we'll be direct. Um, but we also have to be careful with what we say and how far we go with it. But I feel like we've we've traded the line even up to this point pretty well. And uh, yeah. probably done it pretty, pretty good. Because <laughs> it's it's compassionate challenge, right? We yeah. only we only challenge you based on the things that we know you need to know. And we will always challenge you from a place of compassion. And the thing is, is that compassion doesn't always just like putting an arm around your shoulder and telling you that everything's going to be okay. Compassion looks like being direct and saying, I have an obligation, I have a moral duty as your coach to hold this mirror up and tell you the thing that I can see happening in front of me. Because if we're not doing that for you, then we're not coaching you. We're just reassuring you and doing what everybody else has always done for you. But coaching by its very nature is the correct balance of support and challenge to facilitate growth. And compassionate challenge looks like high support, high challenge and complete directness and transparency that we are going to say to you, look, I can see that elephant standing over there. And at some point we're going to have to talk about it. And every time you try and avoid that, I'm going to bring you back to the elephant because I know that we can't do anything until the elephant in the room is spoken about. And yes, directness and challenge can be tough to hear, but it literally always comes from a place of compassion because we could just gloss over it. Yeah. We could just decide it was too uncomfortable for us mm-hmm. and that we don't want to upset you and what if we challenge you and you leave. We could go through that whole routine, but actually the the best interests of our people are always what's at the forefront of what we do like their best interests and what is best for them that that's where that compassion comes from because we want the absolute best for literally every single person we work with whether they need to hate us on the way to getting it or not we're still going to relentlessly pursue that greatness with them by saying the things that are sometimes tough to hear but always come from a place of love every single time. You're so right. Like you've hit that that fucking that that nail in the head massively there. And what I was thinking about um as you were saying that was just how true it is that we play that role very well because I think that we understand them so well and um, because we have great relationships with our clients. But I do also think that we could just make an excuse. Like we've worked a 12 hour day today, we've worked a six day hour week. And then even when we're going to log off, we fucking get a voice note glossing over the elephant yet again. It would be easy for me to go, I'm fucking tired. You know, I'm just going to fuck off to my bed. I'm just going to forget about this. We'll just maybe talk about it next time it comes up. But we'll put in that extra effort to have that conversation because we know that if we don't, like what's going to happen. And I don't think many other coaches, in fact, I don't think I know other coaches don't operate like that. Coaches want the result half the time, right? Don't get me wrong, I'm not tarnishing every coach with the same brush. There's some good coaches out there. But most coaches want the result from their clients in the easiest way possible. They do, mm. right? They want their lives to be made easy. They don't want to look at the, th- the hard things that could be a, a contributing factor. They want to look at how your nutrition, your sleep, your steps, your training is impacting your energy, your mindset, and so on and so forth. But they don't want to look at how your fucking relationship with your partner is or your relationship with your work or your relationship with your friends. They don't want to look at that stuff, right? And that is the hardest stuff to look at as well. And that's the stuff that's actually then impacting the energy you're getting from all these other things anyway. So let's go past the fucking perceived problem to the problem. And that's what we will always do. And as you said, if it gets so far that it's out of our ethical boundaries, then we will say and we will recommend it. And some people take it, some people don't, because they're like, you know what, I'm not ready to admit this to myself yet. But we are also planting the seed. 
Mm. which is important. Like there's people that I spoke to on calls that were going to come into the program. And at the end of calls, I've basically been quite direct with some of them of what will happen if they don't choose to go forward here because they've actually said, I don't think I can do this right now. I, I say to myself, like, you've just told me all these things. You've just told me. But someone actually told me that they think within maybe a two to three year period that they would maybe no longer be alive if they kept going the way they were going and then told me they couldn't they couldn't come on board. I'm like, this doesn't add up. So I remember telling this specific individual what I really thought. And they came back a year later, came on board and said, you just, you were on my mind the full time. Ever since you said that to me, because no one else has ever said that to me, it's been on my mind. And I've thought about it pretty much every single day. And I'm like, good, see if I can say one thing to stay in your fucking head rent free and live there constantly. That's what I want to do. 100%. And see, the thing is, see if you are going to have the courage and the vulnerability and the willingness and to feel safe enough to come to me and share with me your deepest, darkest vulnerability, I'm going to prove to you why you were right to trust me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going to prove to you that actually, if you do share a vulnerability with me, if you do want to talk about that elephant, I am the, I am here to listen and I am here to hear you and I am here to understand you. Like, if you're going to be willing to venture into the vulnerable and really address the difficult stuff that you've tr been trying not to look at and you think that I'm the right person to speak to about that I'm going to show you exactly why you were right to choose me and exactly why you were right to trust me like if I think if you I think for people knowing that they that we feel comfortable with their vulnerabilities first before they do that just opens up a whole different conversation, a transformative conversation that means that we do actually speak to our clients so much more about everything else in their life except the day-to-day -day stuff. We speak to people all the time about relationships, jobs. This is why we see people getting divorces, moving abroad, changing careers, start businesses. Like, we don't call it built for life for nothing, right? <laughs> like, we're built for overhaul at this point. Like, I can't think of like any people who have been truly successful in this process whose life doesn't look remarkably different than it did when, when they first joined. But it's because you will always be safe with us. We will always listen. We will always show you why you're right to lean into that vulnerability because we are going to always hold that container for you to be able to explore it. Yeah. One of our clients actually came to us the other day um, who's been with us for a while and she'd been in a pretty toxic relationship before as well. And she came finally with the trusting information that she'd been seeing someone new. And she was almost like, I've been petrified to tell you guys. <laughs> <laughs> her mum and dad. <laughs> I, because we know so much about her. And I'm like, well, I'm your fucking dad after all. So I'm going to actually have to, I'm going to have to meet this guy. I'm going to have to interview him. I'm going to have to tell you whether or not I think he's right for you. <laughs> That's the relationship that we have as well. And listen, like we look out for these guys so much that even you said, bring him to the next event. Because I want to size this guy up. See if, 100%. I can see, if I can see a red flag that she can. I don't want her fucking put herself in that vulnerable position again. Genuinely don't. So, yeah. and like, she trusts us enough that if we say to opinion. her, yeah, he's a red flag, she, she would listen. Do you know what I mean? Aye. That, like, that's the thing, that's why we need to size him up and interrogate him. Aye, <laughs> you know who you no are, pressure, get, him mate. get him fucking brought. Um, <laughs> but I think that was, I don't even know how the fucking long we've been on here for. I think too long, mate, to be oh, honest, Jesus. guys. I'm uh, we apologize for talking so much. Shit. Um, <laughs> it feels as if we're just having a chat between the two of us. 
what we wrap up there, I think it's probably yeah, a spot. Absolutely. Um, We're turning into Jack and Victor at this point. I feel like we've been on here for like an hour and a half. I think we have. No, maybe an hour and 15. I don't know. We'll figure it out when we hit stop. Oh, fuck. Right. Anyway, <laughs> guys, anyway, subscribe if you want to hear an hour and a half long Friday, Friday night rambles. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe, like, share, let us know what you think. But If you've listened um, to the end, thank you. I know, if you've listened to the end, you've got this far, you're doing very, very, very well. Um, but team, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for your time, as always. And me and Jen are off to enjoy our weekend um, and clearly speak to no one else the entire time. <laughs> Line of that room. Bye, folks. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs>